0: It's Enrico Palazzo! Palazzo!
1: How about that? Episode fourteen of Hey, This is Rico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. Today, Gary and Mike welcome a special guest, Stephen Guile. That's G A A L. Looks like Gall, sounds like Guile. Join Gary and Mike as they welcome Steve, who has over twenty years of experience in the game of fantasy baseball. So get ready for the ride of your life as episode fourteen kicks off with Chris, Steve, and Mike. Now, here's your host, Michael Gauvier.
2: Take it away, boys! Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. It's episode 14. I am one of your hosts, Michael Gauvier. I am here with two fine gentlemen, uh, my regular co-host, Christopher Deary. How's it going, Chris? How is everyone today? I think they're doing well. That's the room around the street, anyways. It's a beautiful day here in Michigan. We are also graced with the presence of a dear friend, Stephen Guile. He is an expert fantasy baseball player. knows baseball as well as any man I know. Steve, how's it going? I'm doing great.
3: Loving it here in Charleston,
2: Charleston, South Carolina, Chucktown. We are the Hey, It's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast. We are available on Twitter, uh, at Palazzo Podcast, and Instagram, I guess. We don't really use that as much, but it's there. And, of course, you can email us, at Palazzo Podcast, which is uh, Palazzo Podcast at ProtonMail.com. That's two L's, two Z's, as always. So,
3: uh, let's double check in.
2: <laughs> so, let's check in. Uh, Steve, how's your quarantine going? Uh,
3: quarantine's good uh, working from home. Uh, and I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Great. Oh,
2: uh, Chris, what's going on with you, buddy?
0: So Steve, Steve's speechless. Um, yeah, right before we hit record here, I was telling you how, uh, I'm loving this. <laughs> I, I feel like a total asshole being selfish and saying, uh, yeah, these last three weeks have been wonderful, but, uh, it really has, especially with uh, the weather being nice today when, uh, for a nice long walk. Uh, I've actually been eating really well and working out a ton. And uh, I am also still working from home about 15 to 20 hours a week. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing well, though. How about yourself, Mike? Uh, You know,
2: I got everything. All the creature comforts are accounted for. Uh, I have a problem with unemployment. That's a real pain in the ass. If anybody else out there is struggling to get unemployment or – having to jump through excessive amount of hoops i feel for you uh, that's my big bugaboo right now but otherwise yeah i'm good to go i'm glad we get to do this podcast I look forward to it every week and it's a pleasure to have steve on with us because we've been wanting to have steve on forever do you guys remember Man, time flies remember when we were going to have steve on and we was for the playoffs when baseball was happening in 2019 remember that steve oh yeah yeah, we were all jazzed up. It was like, oh, yeah, we'll get Steve on. We'll talk about – Uh, we wanted to preview the whole playoff series. It was right before the first wild card game with the A's in Tampa. Is that
3: right? Oh, yeah. it's was to talk about both those teams. I love both those teams. It was a shame they had to play first.
2: Yeah, I remember feeling so bad that we weren't able to get it done. We, we were uh, inexperienced back then, but now we are a force. We are organized, and we got Steve here to talk about – Really, what's a fun topic, we got a lot of participation from you on Twitter. So, anybody who voted for the best World Series champion since 1980 tournament, thank you so much for doing so on Twitter. We had a a kind of a slow start, but we had a nice boost halfway through the voting, and we got pretty balanced. It's fair to say, Deary, that we got balanced voting for all the matchups?
0: Yeah, uh, last time I checked, it was yesterday. But, uh, yeah, we got enough votes to to make it count. It's not like you got 10 votes and – You know, it basically doesn't matter. But I think we're over the threshold to where it seemed like a good majority of votes were uh, kept tally. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, good participation. I think we're going to get better participation this week now that uh, we're we're looking to hopefully do two pods in this next round. So, uh, yeah, I'm super excited. Uh, um, Thank you to all the people in the Twitterverse that came out and voted. And, uh, yeah, hopefully um, we get better traction this week as well.
2: Yeah, Deary's right. It was the first round. We had eight matchups. This week, we're going to have 16 matchups. This is the second round where now we have two sides of the bracket that we need to discuss. So instead of dragging it out with one long pod, we're going to do the first half, the left side of the bracket today. And then we'll do another episode this weekend with the right side of the bracket. But the voting will start tonight, which is Wednesday. So we'll give you another week to vote on all these matchups. And hopefully I'll get them better organized. It's, it's hard to have the tweets all line up in a row because I think some of them got broken up. So some matchups got less uh, attention than the other ones because they weren't all in the same area, which was annoying. But I feel confident that this round's going to have some hot and heavy matchups. So I'm very excited about that. Shout out to Marlins fans. They by far had the, the most amount of votes. Um, I didn't know you guys existed. On the Marlins-Royals matchup, the 8-9 matchup of the 85 Royals, And the 97 Marlins. There's 150 votes, which was by far the most we had. So, Uh, Steve was saying when we got started, didn't know there's this many Marlins fans out there, but now we know.
3: Yeah, it's wild. I'm glad they're showing out, though. I wonder if there's any Rays fans out there, though. If so, please go to the game. (laughs) That's actually a better point.
2: There's probably less Rays fans than Marlins fans. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that. But uh, good job, Marlins fans. You got your team in the next round. So real quick on the voting results, I just wanted to let you know who won. So in the 8-9 matchup with the Red Sox of 2013 and the 2000 Yankees, 2000 Yankees advanced 55 to 44%. The 2003 Marlins advanced over the 94 Expos. Really thought – I know, uh, Chris, you had a special place in your heart for this Expos team, right?
0: Yeah, I sure did. Uh, I didn't realize that the 03 Marlins were going to gonna come out uh, on top there. But uh, like you said, the fans did a great job voting. I thought it was one of the better matchups, especially looking deeper into how good that 03 Marlins team. So I, I don't think it was an upset at all. I mean, they were the higher seeded team against the 94 Expos. Uh, and now they're going to take on the 95 Braves that we're going to talk about today. That's a- Excellent matchup, an NL East matchup between the 03 Marlins and the 95 Graves. So we'll see if these Marlins fans show out for uh, the second round here and maybe push them through to the quarterfinals.
2: Yeah, the Marlins rolled 65 to 34 percent over the Expos. Uh, and then the 710 matchup with the 96 Yankees and the 2010 Giants, the Yankees prevailed 58 to 41 percent, but there's still Giants teams left, so don't worry, Giants fans. And then in the other Marlins matchup with the 85 Royals, Marlins of 1997, 89% of the vote to the 10% of the 85 Royals. Uh, Steve, is there either one of these teams, the 85 Royals or the 97 Marlins? Do you think was a better team if you had a vote?
3: I know uh, we're splitting hairs with – I mean, these are World Series winning teams. So, I mean, they're all clearly good. But uh, I would have to give it to – I really remember that 97 Marlins team is just uh, – like. They went in that run in the playoffs, uh, wild card team. I mean, this is this is a team that doesn't get in if it's 1985 because there was no wild card back then. So, uh, yeah, I think I got to. I think I gotta give them the uh, the momentum score there. And then the the 85 Royals, uh, you know, George Brett, Brett Saberhagen, like, I mean, that was that was one of those 80s teams, right?
2: Yeah, I told Deary it was a culmination of a. A long period for the Royals to finally win that series that's why I, I wanted them to advance because they were good for eight nine years going to the World Series in 1980 losing another playoff matchups before that so I, I, uh, I agree with you the Marlins of 97 are they were a powerhouse but I just feel bad that the Royals are out and that only leaves one Royals team left that'll be the 2015 Royals which we'll talk about on the next pod then in the other 7-10 matchup on the right side of the bracket, the 08 Phillies edge out the 2006 Tiger Killers of the Cardinals, 43%. So it was 56% to 43%. 2008 Phillies survived. That leaves two Phillies teams left, guys. And then the 82 Cardinals lose to the 2014 Giants, 55 to 44%. Uh, Deary, this eliminates all Cardinals teams. How do you feel about that?
3: Good.
0: <laughs> What's well, funny there's there's so many other cardinals teams that were better than these world series championship teams that won you know over a hundred games and then just couldn't you know i look at like the 01 di- uh cardinals were really good and they lost they lost uh you know the diamondbacks ended up going to the series that year um i think in 03 they had a really good team they've had so many really good dominant teams but could never win the world series and the 06 cardinals is of course, one of the worst World Series championship teams ever, if not the worst. Um, the 82 Cardinals were just a different type of team. They were a team that, you know, played small ball and stole a ton of bases. They were probably the most exciting out of the teams. And then the 11 team had some good, you know, good players on their on their team, a lot of veteran presence. But uh, I don't think they were super strong either. Uh, so I wasn't surprised that uh, they lost. The uh, 11, 11 Cardinals lost to the the 90 Reds. I don't think you mentioned that yet.
2: Yeah, I was just going to mention that one next. the The Reds are still alive. They're going to take on the vaunted number one seed, eighty four Tigers, as they edge out the two thousand and eleven Cardinals, fifty four to forty five percent. Before I get to Steve, who he knows a thing or two about the Reds, I do want to say that I watched the World Series Game Seven between the Brewers and the eighty two Cardinals in the Suds Series, and it was it was a great game. Uh, Pete Vukovich went ahead head with Joaquin Andujar, and uh, they. Joaquin Eduhard got hit by a pitch in the knee or hit by a line drive in the knee about five days before that, and he was able to start game seven, pitch seven innings, and he gave them the victory, and Bruce Sutter closed the door. It was a really fun team to watch. They had these guys with mustaches who were very skinny and all coked out, but it was really a really well-put-together team. Um, But as far as the Reds, Steve, your 1990 Reds advance, how do you feel about that?
3: I am so excited to talk about the 1990 Reds. That is, a. I grew up a Reds fan, so uh, and Eric Davis my favorite all-time player, and uh, that was just a, a magical year, so I'm sure we'll get to that later, but yes, I'm so happy they won.
2: I'm really bummed out that they're going up against the 84 Tigers, but someone's got to win and someone's got to lose, so that will be one of the matchups we talk about as we get into the second round of our tournament. Don't forget. At Palazzo Podcast on Twitter, two L's, two Z's. That's where the voting will take place. It'll start Wednesday night, which is this evening, April 8th. And we'll have the voting for an entire week until next Wednesday. And we'll have the second episode of this bracket round going this weekend. So I know it sounds like a mouthful, but just remember, vote on our profile page on Twitter. It makes a difference if we get your contributions. Because without it, it's just us talking about it. And it's just not as fun. So your votes make us more engaged. Thank you. So before we get to the second round, guys, and we start breaking them down, let's talk about this latest plan with the Arizona sortening of the season, having them play baseball in mid to late May, possibly, maybe June 1st. Uh, Deary, let's start with you. What was your initial responses to this plan that was rolled out or at least leaked out the other day?
0: Uh, it's an idea that has a lot of hurdles in it, I believe. Um, so they talked about using... Spring training sites in Arizona, obviously Chase Field, a couple of different colleges. Uh, I heard the idea of doing seven inning double headers, trying to get as many games in as possible, 140 some odd games. Um, it's a good idea, but I think there's I think there's a lot of obstacles that they have to they have to get over. One, there needs to be some testing, uh, and there needs to be rampant testing for all these players. Are they going to be quarantined from their families? Are they going to be able to leave the facilities that they're in? obviously there's not going to be any fans. Uh, Mike and I talked about this last week, how we believe some type of season will happen without any fans. Um, I'm glad that they have the conversation going and that they're trying to get something going. Mike talked about it being, you know, a lot of it based in money, which I understand. Um, I know that they have guaranteed money towards players up until I believe June 1st or maybe May 1st. And then after that, um, there's really nothing guaranteed. So, uh, I, it's, it's really interesting to me. I, is it a greedy thing to do it? Yeah, probably. Um, is it something that us as baseball fans want to happen? Absolutely. Uh, I think there's, there's just a lot that's going to go into it. I mean, is the CDC are the, is the world health organization, are they going to be able to allow this to happen? Um, there's a, there's a lot of unknowns. I think we will know more in probably three weeks. Um, I, I think maybe June 1st is probably possibly doable but I mean it could really really turn out badly if let's say you go ahead and you uh, you end up doing this you play in Arizona and what if someone ends up testing positive for, for the virus uh, what if someone has to leave to go home for like a death in the family or someone having a baby are they going to be quarantined after that are there going to be players that don't want to participate because they're afraid of it so uh, it's an interesting conversation really excited that to- Excited that they are talking about it and trying to get something going, but uh, we'll see how it shakes out here then over the next three weeks.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of caveats. Those are some great points, Deary. Uh, Guy, what do you think about this and the overall idea of playing baseball this summer?
3: So, uh, I mean, you mentioned the doubleheader. Scott Boris is lobbying for tripleheaders. So there's some people who are really trying to get this going, but I imagine there's going to be a lot of pushback from the players' union uh, just for safety reasons and uh, completely understandable. And if people don't want to play, uh, that's totally fine. So we might, uh, we, we might run into a situation where, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of triple A call-ups. Uh, how would that work out? I mean, you don't want to introduce too many more people into a clubhouse. Um, and then, uh, the idea of using the stadiums in Arizona, uh, the only one of the stadiums there that has a roof is Chase Field. The rest do not. And if you're starting uh, to do double headers and uh, East Coast games got to go first. So like the East Coast teams will play at like five. Uh, if you're talking about June and July in Arizona, they're going to be starting in games. That it's like 115 degrees. And if you're doing double headers, that's going to be a huge injury risk to players, too. They're, they're going to be tired. They're going to be hot. They're going to be dehydrated. You're going to see a lot of strains, a lot of pulls, um, I I don't think it's feasible in the way that they're proposing it now. So I think we're going to see something scaled way back from uh, this real aggressive plan that they're leaking.
2: Yeah. I think uh, the original plan, and maybe you guys disagree, but I think this was just an attempt to roll out an idea, probably Manfred and company or whoever the powers that be said, Hey, let's roll this out. Let's get some feedback. See what people say about it. And then if people are cool with it, then we'll just keep going with it. But there are so many contingencies that you guys just brought up. It seems very unlikely. And, and Erie, you really started to freak me out there. You were like, yeah, what if somebody has to go home for a day or, or there's an emergency, you know, they have the, the bereavement uh, list is now part of uh, IL in baseball, things like that. And then Guile, your point about how the, um, uh, uh, the long season is such a long, baseball is already a long season it is and it's, I think undervalued how many injuries happen in baseball versus more heavy contact sports like football and hockey. It's one of the most uh, injury riddled sports there is. So if you're doubling down and playing in extreme heat and exhaustion, I think you make some good points. Uh, Deary, any follow-up to that?
0: I think you'd have to have like 40-man rosters too. Because like Steve brought up, what do you do with the minor leagues? I mean, that's another thing. So uh, I, I read something read something today. I don't know if it was just uh, – a parody article or something like that, but they talked about not even having the players in the dugout, but having the players like in the first row of the stands and keeping six feet from each other.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's real. I I believe that is absolutely authentic.
0: (laughs) Now they they also talked about having, you know, what Mike and I talked about several pods ago is uh, the electronic umpire system as well. Uh, So that's something that they could actually roll out and see how that would work. But uh, there's just, I, I'm kind of on board with Steve. There's just way too too much to this, and I'm also on board with what Mike said: is hey, they're trying to get the conversation going and see what kind of ideas stick. But uh, Steve talked about the Players Association not being on board with this, and I I I'd agree with that.
3: Well, then another thing it does give them a chance to explore different formats. So we could look at something like a uh, like a round robin format, like a you know like a high school round robin style. I mean, there's there's tons of different formats to explore. And uh, I think they need to be more creative than what they're doing right now.
2: I agree with you guys. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, nobody knows anything. We are like everyone else. We're just sitting here clueless. All we do know is how much it's affected our lives personally. And I can't imagine, just just because there's so much more, so many more variables at stake, it's going to take more time to figure this out. I'm, I agree with Deary. I think we will have baseball by June-ish. But it's definitely, like we said last week, there will be no fans at all. I mean, just forget about fans. Just if having it on TV will be enough for them to make money with, you got? Do you agree with that, Steve? Or,
3: oh yeah, uh, TV is where they get most of their money. I mean, think about the contracts that, like the uh, the Dodgers and the Astros have that uh, kill their fan bases for people who can't access the uh, the team on television, depending on their provider. But uh, I mean, those are the huge money makers.
2: Well, we'll see what happens, folks. I'm hoping to have baseball. In our lives, It'll, everybody wants baseball back, but everybody wants what's best, and we've got to keep it real. And there's also all the legalese that, that we don't even want to get into, but they are in a rather important part of Major League Baseball's plan to get back on the diamond. Uh, I don't know if this is even worth talking about, but Deary, could you see a fantasy impact based on the plan that was released? Do you, do you see a fantasy impact from that plan?
0: yeah absolutely i don't know what the impact is but uh it would certainly affect uh i mean yeah just like i mean you're talking about seven inning games you're talking about triple headers you're talking about a lot of days off for guys uh we might have to expand certain fantasy roster spaces um it's weird i'm not even thinking fantasy at this point i'm just thinking about wanting baseball back um steve talked about you know looking into different formats like a round robin type deal i was thinking you do something like a three to four month season where you al only plays al nl only plays nl you play everybody in in your league uh once and you know maybe you know everyone in your division a couple times and then maybe you roll out a big playoff at the end of this but uh in terms of how this impacts fantasy uh i mean one i don't think that proposed idea in Arizona is going to happen. Um, but yeah, it, it would greatly affect fantasy for sure. I just don't know which, which way it would go. Um, I think the thing that's crazy about all this is it's, it's taking all the attention off what the Astros did last year. <laughs> that's true. You know, we're not talking, this this is the best thing for the Astros. There's no one to talk about the Astros anymore in uh, the trash can gate. So we'll see. I'm hoping at some point we'll do a
3: fantasy show again. <laughs> Well, I think there's going to be some impacts uh, just by virtue of having a foreshortened season. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot of playoff-style usage. So uh, you think about a guy like, uh, like Josh Hader. He's, uh, I mean, aside from his racist tweets uh, and his <laughs> platinum-blonde <laughs> prince-filling mm-hmm. do, uh, he's very effective when he's used in multiple innings uh, against the heart of the order late in the game. So you bring him in in the seventh for the uh, third time through the order and let him go too. And uh, we're going to see uh, guys come back from injury like Corey Knable. And we know that Craig Council with his unorthodox batting stance is not, uh, not averse to using unorthodox uh, player usage. So I think we're going to see a lot of stuff like that where uh, you're going to see uh, guys moved into different roles uh, just because it's a foreshortened season. The games mean more. And then uh, you're going to look at guys with uh, with odd mechanics. So, you know, if you if you got a hitter with a high leg kick, uh, it usually takes them all the spring training to get that uh, timing down and get ready for the fastball in the uh, regular season. So guys, you take a, a minute to develop. I mean, we're, we know about all the slow starters out there. Uh, they're going to start slow, and that's going to hurt you more in a shortened season. And then uh, the stars are going to be worth more. So if you're doing an auction draft, don't be afraid to overpay for the stars. Go out and get them.
2: That's a great call. Good point, Steve. Dear, you just reminded me that we're not even talking fantasy. We keep doing this podcast, but we're not even talking fantasy. You're right. Uh, We'll get back to it. We will. I am looking forward to that day. But for now, we're going to talk about our tourney. But we'd like to say uh, farewell to LK Line, Mr. Tiger. This is a locally sourced podcast from the Detroit area. Uh, Steve's in Charleston. But uh, Steve lived here in Michigan. He grew up here. uh, Not exclusively, but he was – Definitely been exposed to the Michigan lifestyle for a portion of his life, and he's not a Tigers fan, but he can appreciate Mr. Tiger, just like anybody else. I just want to say Al Kalen, to me, is the broadcaster. I love him. He's a great player. There's no doubt. He's a Hall of Famer. 3,000 hits. But I just know him growing up in the 80s with George Kael and him doing the broadcasts on WDIV, Channel 4, and on Past Sports. It, he was so good. They were such a combo. No broadcasting team ever, ever has topped In my life, for any sport, George Kell and Al Kaline. It could be nostalgia, but they were also really good. And they had this like down home Southern appeal, which was kind of odd since it's a Midwestern team. But George Kell was from Arkansas, so that was part of it. But I don't know, there's something so homey about it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, What will you remember most about Al Kaline, dearie?
0: So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with you as well. I mean, when we started watching baseball in the, you know, mid-80s, mid, mid 80s, that was our broadcast team that we had. We had Cal and K-Line. Um, you know, if you're our age, most of our parents' favorite player, my dad's favorite player growing up was Al K-Line. He's got an autographed K-Line uh, ball. He went to a couple games in the 68 series, so he was always a huge K-Line fan. Um, the guy spent 65 years in the organization, so, you know, comes up, Drafted a week after getting drafted is on the team. Like that's unheard of, and then spends the rest of his career. You know, he he retires, uh, sticks around with the team. You know, he ends up in the broadcast booth. He was a special advisor um, to the general manager for many years. Worked in you know so many different parts of the club, um, and just re- reading stories from players uh, that weren't even within the Tigers organization, but just other players that were either from his generation or grew up around knowing who k-line was they talked just talked about how he was a stand-up class guy like you you couldn't meet a better guy um and then you know his skills on the baseball field he's an incredible right fielder he talked about him being one of the best defensive right fielders ever uh you know just barely under 300 for his career three thousand hits first ballot hall of famer so he was a stud player i mean he didn't even get to the series until 68 and i think it was his 15th or 16th year so he, he finally got that world series championship but uh yeah he's mr tiger uh number six uh for us we got a great uh, statue of him out in uh you know left field of uh Comerica Park there so uh i wouldn't say it's a sad day it's a it's a, it's a day to celebrate uh a great life of a great baseball man
2: yeah i agree with you completely it's not a sad day he was a, he lived a full life anybody would have been happy to live his life uh steve what about you
3: Oh, just sleep and power out love that man so yeah i mean anyone who wants to go look get on baseball reference go look at his page and just get ready to get wild. he was he was insane and like Deary said uh there's there's not much statistics in the way of defense but yeah he was a stellar defender in right field
2: yeah I completely agree uh we'll miss Al line, but uh he lived a full and complete life he also fun fact I was living in Maryland you know the last two years and he was from Baltimore and got his 3,000th hit at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore where he was born and raised which is I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's, you can't create that moment. It just worked out that way. I, I think that was very sure cool. I, mean. I watched, Yeah, I watched the highlight of it on YouTube the other day. I was like, oh, wow, no shit. And uh, When the Tigers played the Orioles in 2014 in the ALDS, apparently he sang his old um, uh, high school fight song to everybody the night before the series started. There was like a big Tigers gathering at uh, McCormick and Schmick's, a famous restaurant in uh, Baltimore. Godspeed, Al. You're a good man. All right. So let's get to it. Let's talk round two of our best team since 1980. The best World Series champion since 1980. Here's the good news. All three of us were born in 1980. So for us, we have the same kind of view. We have the same experience in terms of watching these teams unfold before our eyes. So I think that will that will make this intriguing. Uh, me and Derry share a birthday. And then Steve Guy was born about 14 days later in early September. So we're all, uh, we're all coming from, like, this, a similar angle. We've all lived different lives. We all have different uh, body parts, but we're – I don't know what I'm talking about now. All right, so let's <laughs> – <so> Let's talk. <laughs> Round two. Here we go. Don't forget, the voting is on Twitter, at Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's. We'd love to have your voting. Get your fan bases uh, organized, you know. Unite the clans. So we're going to start on the upper left. Uh, by the way, Kyle, you weren't here with us last week. How do you fill out your March? How do you fill out a bracket, a March Madness bracket? Do you have a sp- specific way you like to do it?
3: Uh, I usually go for the, uh, the matchups that I'm sure of first. So uh, I do kind of go down uh, top to bottom, left to right, like uh, you and Deary, but uh I go through the first time and if there's a matchup I'm totally sure of, I just mark it in. And then the other ones I'll uh, go back and research uh, a little more, Yeah, you know, check out some Ken Palm rankings or whatever. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to go with the ones that I'm sure of first and then uh, circle back around to the other ones.
2: Excellent. Nice call. I, 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 we should have done a Twitter poll on that. Maybe I'll do that this week. I want to know if people fill out their brackets differently. Let's start with our first matchup. So we had the 2000 Yankees eliminate the 2013 Red Sox, who were a really good team. And the 2000 Yankees are kind of a so-so team. I mean, they were a World Series champ, but they only won 87 games during the regular season. Not, Not a memorable team if you look at the World Series titles winning team of the New York Yankees from 96 to 2000. So let's start with looking at the Yankees of 98. This is a studly team. They're our number one seed. It could be argued they're our number one overall seed. I'll, I'll leave that to you guys to interpret. But Deary, let's get your opening thoughts on the '98 Yankees.
0: Yeah, I mean, 114 wins. Uh, you know, they roll through the playoffs, take care of uh, the Rangers, sweep the Rangers, beat a pretty good Indians team, four games to two, and then you know, just a boring World Series. They, they play the Padres, the upstate start Padres and sweep them. Uh, you know, you you look at lists and brackets like this. Uh, you know, they talk about you know the best teams in all of baseball history uh the 98 yankees are always lumped in there and a lot of it has to do with their 114 wins uh 10 guys in this lineup had, had double digit home runs uh you know bernie williams has another amazing season that's 339 26 home runs a uh, whole bunch of rbis uh martino martinez just just one through nine in this lineup posada uh chuck chuck knoblox there at that time uh Scott Brocious at third, Paul O'Neill, and then, you know, you got guys coming off the bench, Joe Girardi, Tim Raines, uh, Luis Soho, Chili Davis, Shane Spencer hits 10 home runs for them. Uh, so, I mean, that lineup, just a really, really solid lineup, one through nine. Um, you know, looking at that pitching staff, uh, you know, Pettit's in his prime. He's 26, 16-game winner. Uh, the ERAs aren't going to blow you out of the, out of the water here, but you got to remember this is 98. There's a lot of runs being scored, you know, basically 98 up until, you know, you know, the next 10 years after that. Uh, Mo Rivera, obviously, you know, absolutely studly in the bullpen, 36 saves, 1.91 ERA. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, pretty good rotation here. David Wells, 18-game winner. David Cohn, you know, another fantastic year. Uh, 20 20 wins, just seven losses. Hideki Arabu, uh, Orlando Hernandez. So, real solid Solid pitching staff, too. They didn't really run into injuries during the year. Uh, Cashman took over in the offseason, so it was his first year as general manager. Uh, this is a tough team. This is going to be a real tough team to take down. Uh, you know, Like I talked about, this is this is one of the giants in, in all of history of baseball, and uh, I, I, I think this is a team that has a really good shot to make it to the final four of this bracket.
2: Absolutely. Good call, Deary. Uh, Steve, let's turn to you. Obviously, this was the era of the Turkish beef roids, so everybody was getting roided out. But uh, what do you think of this 98 Yankees team?
3: Uh, it is an absolute powerhouse top to bottom. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the starting nine for the lineup, uh, there was not an OBP below 350. Uh, these guys got on base, and once they got on base, they ran, and that put pressure on pitchers because there were always people on base and always a threat to go. So uh, I think they are built for the playoffs. Uh, they've got, uh, you know, five legit ballers at starting pitcher. Like, like they got their fucking balling papers notarized. like uh, excellent bullpen, uh, just incredibly balanced team. Uh, and, yeah, I just they were, they were aggressive. They got on base. They didn't strike out. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine a more fearsome team to come up against than uh, World Series play. They, they are absolutely built for this.
2: Yeah, this team is incredible. I mean, I don't like the Yankees at all, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, a couple of notes about this team. They went 62-19 and at home. That is incredible. That is mind-blowing. They also acquired Chuck Knoblock in the offseason, which really boosted them up because they lost in 97. They made some moves like adding Knobloch. And also, Drew Henson was drafted. Drew Henson, a local <laughs> classic, was drafted by the Yankees uh, that summer just for a little local... I'm in Brighton night now, which is where he went to high school. And he failed spectacularly because he couldn't hit a curveball. Uh, but we talked about the 2000 Yankees last week, the 2000, not the 98. Uh, quickly, Deary, any comments on the 2000 Yankees again? I mean, we pretty much covered them, but.
0: This is a, it's a similar team as the 98 team. Uh, Posada still there. Martinez, Knoblack, Jeter, Brocious, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill, Shane Spencer, all those guys were there in 98. And the pitching staff is almost exactly the same, too. Pettit, Clemens, Hernandez, David Cohn, and Denny Nagel was their fifth starter at that time. So it's a similar team. Uh, Rivera did not have one of his best seasons. He had a 2.85 ERA that year. Um, so it's a similar team, but not the same production. Uh, certainly the pitching staff was uh, just not as good at all. Uh, um, you know, Pettit still had a pretty solid year. David Cohn, this was, I believe, his last year that he played. Uh, he was 4-14, four and 14, so he he was absolute garbage that year. Uh, so, But, yeah, it's a similar team to, to, to the players that they have on there. But, yeah, the 2000 team just doesn't really blow me away, though. Um, you know, some decent statistics there, but uh, they, they kind of slept through most of the season before, uh, you know, turning it on in the playoffs. And, you know, just – I think everyone was just so scared of that team in 98, 99, and 2000 that it's like you walked into the stadium and you almost had a win. And they kind of slept through the season and uh, you know beat the A's and, the, and then the Mariners and the ALCS and then in the Subway Series beat the Mets. So. What about you, Steve? 2000 Yankees any good? Uh, I
3: mean, it's the 98 Yankees, but aged two years. And they were already starting to slow down. So, uh, yeah, I, a lot of that core was still there. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it was basically the same team except age them two years, and they were just not that good. Yeah, so the 98 bo- Yankees.
2: yeah, absolutely. Bottom line, Deary, you're taking the 98 Yankees, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of on your side hoping that the 13 Red Sox uh, would have won this matchup just to, just to make it a better conversation here. But, yeah, 98 Yankees in probably four or five games.
3: Kyle, any arguments? None at all. What do you think?
2: I'm with you. I think uh, the 98 Yankees are one of the best teams that ever assembled. The uh, apex of this dynasty of the late 90s for the Yankees. Better, in my opinion, than, uh, you know, we're not talking about all-time teams, but the 27 Murderers Row Yankees. I'd rather have this team. They just did everything so well. And obviously, it gets really difficult comparing eras. And we don't need to go down that road. But just for the record, I think this 98 Yankees team is not likable, but really good. (laughs) So, hopefully. Nothing – it'll be interesting to see how Yankees fans uh, vote on this. I assume they'll take the 98 team. But like we said, the Red Sox were not able to advance, and it would have been fun to see the Red Sox and Yankees go to head-to-head in this round. So, that's first matchup. Matchup number two. It is the 1980 Phillies. Tug McGraw and company versus the miracle 04 Red Sox. Uh, let's talk about the Phillies first. This is the 1980s Phils. Deary, what do we know about the 1980s Phillies?
0: Uh, we were really young, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the the 80s Phillies, they go 91 and 71. Uh, they beat the Royals in in six games. The Royals in that series has have seven errors, which really really killed them. Um, the 80 Phillies was it, it was two guys. It was Mike Schmidt, 48 home runs, 130 RBIs, MVP. And Steve Carlton, I think he was 36 then, goes 24-9 with a 2.38 ERA. He's your Cy Young Award winner. And then Tug McGraw was a beast out of the bullpen. I mean, not many guys had saves back then. I think he only had 20 saves, but he he appeared in a ton of games. 1.46 ERA. Um, They were in the top three to five in all of National League uh, stats uh, offensively, a 270 team average, Uh, and they could steal a little bit too. Gary Maddox and, and our old buddy Lonnie Smith, who Played on almost every World Series uh, competing team through the '80s, starting <laughs> with the Phillies. Here they combined for 68 steals. So uh, obviously, Mike Mike Schmidt's one of those guys that, like, I think we were just too young to really appreciate how good he really was. But you go into his statistics, the guy was just a murderer. He was hitting home runs when not everybody was putting up 40 home runs, and he was doing it consistently. So uh, a good team. I don't think it's the best Phillies team that's in this tournament. I think the '08 Phillies uh, are, are a little better, but uh. Yeah, uh, that was the first World Series team of our lifetime. Uh, we were, what, two months old, one month old?
2: <laughs> That's right. We were just getting started. Me, you, and Steve were just shitting, pissing, and crying, and sleeping. So, uh, <laughs> Steve, what do you think of this 80s? Do they have a good pitching staff, or what is the best part of this 80s, 1980 Phillies team?
3: I mean, Deary, I already covered it both. Uh, this is the ultimate Stars and Scrubs team. Uh, Steve Carlton put up 10 war season. He pitched 300 innings, won 24 games. He was an absolute beast. And then uh, you mentioned that Michael Jack Schmidt murders baseballs. Yeah, that's why he's got three names like a serial killer. Nine more season, And uh, Tug McGraw was lights out. So, I mean, uh, in any series, Steve Carlton to Tug McGraw with a home run by Mike Schmidt, you're getting two wins right there. But uh, the rest of the team is just completely underwhelming. <laughs> That
2: was a great line, Steve. Very impressive. Tug uh, McGraw pitched 92 innings as a closer. You know, the evolution of the closer was happening in the late 70s into the 80s, and he had a 146 ERA in 92 innings. That's, that's really, really good. That's why he, was, he really was able to shut down and close the door. You bring in Steve Carlton for eight innings or seven innings and let McGraw close the door, that's why Steve Carlton had 24 wins. Very impressive. Uh, one of my favorite names, Bob Walk, is on this team. Good old Bob Walk. Got to love him. And yeah, this is a this is a team that was they kind of got hot and they played well when they needed to. And I think it's an underrated team. In this matchup, I I kinda like this team more than I realized. Um it's a team that has some guys that are scumbags now, like you know, Pete Rose is looked at negatively, I would say, but uh they also had some fun players. Uh you know, Mike Schmidt is one of the best third basemen of all time. So we need to give him his due, like you guys said. So it's a fun team, I think. And Lonnie Smith is just continuously available in all of these. He's all over our bracket. He's everywhere the Royals, the Phillies, the Braves, the Cardinals. It's hilarious. Um, let's talk then the other side of this matchup. The Phillies are going head to head, taking on this 04 Red Sox team. Deary, what can you say about this 04 Red Sox team that hasn't already been said?
0: Oh boy, that hasn't been said. This this is this is a really good team. Obviously, the insane comeback against the Yankees and the ALCS, um, you know, end up sweeping the Cardinals. So this is a team that, when I was talking about the Cardinals earlier, the Cardinals won 105 games that year, and they were just dismantled by the Red Sox. I mean, I was hoping for that to be a really, really good series because, you know, the Red Sox are on the highest of highs. Cardinals kind of rolled through the playoffs and had an amazing, you know, season and, and they get swept. So it was completely underwhelming. But, uh, yeah, you look at this Red Sox team, uh, Manny, Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz, both have over a hundred, 130 RBIs, both have 40 home runs. They led the majors in runs, doubles and batting average. You know, they were the idiots. They were like the team of destiny is what they kept calling themselves, um, Schilling and Pedro go a combined 37 and 15. So you got two studs right there. This is a really, really solid team. I think it's uh, maybe not as good as the 18 Red Sox, but I think it was better than um, the other reds, the third Red Sox team that we had in this bracket. Um, so this is a good team. This is an interesting math matchup. I'm really interested to see if, if, if Philly fans come out and vote. This this is a really good ninety eight team uh, ninety eight win Red Sox team. It's a good team. Their their bullpen scares me a little bit. Um, they were always kind of figuring out what who they were going to go with in the bullpen. But uh, I mean, when you got Manny and Ortiz at the top of their game, Johnny Damon was on this team. He was he was a stalwart at the top of the lineup with one hundred and twenty three runs. And you know they just seemed to get it done when it when it needed to happen. And I mean they pretty much won this World Series in the ALCS when they beat the Yankees. Uh, so yeah, they
2: won. They won 98 games, so that's obviously a great regular season. Um, Steve, this Red Sox team, you know, they're uh, they're legendary now for the ALCS, but uh, what else can you contribute? Uh, is there something that stands out about this team during the regular season or even in the World Series that maybe we're not aware of?
3: Uh, Just when you remember back to them, uh, it did seem like destiny, especially after the ALCS, but uh, uh, looking back on this – roster it's not as loaded as other red Sox teams and i was i was surprised to look at it top to bottom it's uh, it's well constructed it's just uh, it's not you know it's not quite a powerhouse though but uh, i mean yeah the, the alc has come back from 3-0 games 4 and 5 went to extras game 4 had the steal game 6 had the bloody sock they broke the curse in 2004 this is an iconic group
2: yeah this is the back when people actually the Red Sox have become somewhat hated now. But back then, they, everybody seemed to root for them because they all wanted to see the curse end. And this was the team that did that. You're right. Uh, two quick notes. Uh, this is They traded Nomar. That was a huge trade during the season because Nomar Garcia-Pardo was like the face of the franchise, That besides Pedro. That was a big deal. And uh, the other note was they had come off the tough loss to the Yankees in Game 7 of the ALCS in 03 with the Aaron Boone walk-off in the 11th inning. So uh, any quick comments on that, Deary?
0: I remember – so that whole series I seem to uh, have watched at a bar of some sort, either in Kalamazoo, East Lansing, or Novi. So, like, the three places that I would normally go to. It seemed like every game I was at a different college bar watching uh, watching this series. Um, it's such an iconic series that the Yankee series, like, I don't even think about the World Series that year. Um, and the worst part about this is my wife's a massive Yankees fan, so I can't even re-watch these games without her losing her fucking lid. So.
3: Uh, I just want to mention one more thing about the 80s Phillies uh, we, oh, yeah. Since that was our birth year, uh, we know Larry Boa, the manager, not the player. So I'm, I'm looking at these stats here and I'm, like, I'm really trying hard to picture Larry Boa stealing a base. And he's still 21 that season. <laughs> like the old man.
0: He was a shortstop. Can you believe that? <laughs> I know. Tearing it up
3: on the base pass.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. It- Angry (laughs) fucker. the phillies fans on twitter came out to vote for their team the 08 team and took out the 06 cardinals so let's see if they come out again because it's i would assume the phillies are the underdog uh dear you agree the underdog
0: i yeah i think they're the underdog here um if i were to make a pick right now I'd, I'd, i'd go with the red sox
3: gal uh same how
0: about you yeah,
2: it's tough to go against. I, I kind of – I like this Phillies team. I think they're scrappy and dirty, and they, they played on AstroTurf. Uh, I was watching the that game seven of the Cardinals-Brewers, like I said. Uh, somebody Keith Hernandez hit a bouncer to Jim Gantner at second base, and the last bounce, it bounced so high and long that by the time he was able to get it in his glove, he couldn't throw Hernandez out at first base from second base. AstroTurf is so stupid. There's so many – awful variables that go into that damn trash do you guys remember quickly steve do you remember astroturf and what baseball was like on it
3: oh yeah absolutely especially in astroturf day back then it was like this new age field grass that they are using uh that was playing like on concrete and it was it was bad for players players to get injured just i mean running around out there and in, in cleats like uh that uh it, and it was ugly to watch you know and uh yeah, If, you, if you've if got a uh, blooper coming into you in the outfield and you're coming up on it, you don't know whether or not to make a dive, and then you decide to play it off one hop and it just jumps over your head, we've seen, seen a lot of doubles happen that way. So, yeah, it was a completely
0: garbage playing surface. I'm so glad it's mostly gone.
2: Yeah, good riddance to AstroTurf. Deary, did you love AstroTurf or are you glad it's gone?
0: You remember uh, Moises Alou breaking his ankle, uh, rounding first base on AstroTurf? Yeah, yeah. Go I look do. it up. It's gross. <laughs> yeah, it's grizzly. Yeah, like Steve, like Steve said, it's concrete, man. It's brutal. I cannot believe that people played on this shit. Yeah. The Phillies played in
2: Veterans Stadium, which is one of the biggest dumps ever on AstroTurf. So just, I kind of feel for them. I guess you got to vote for the Red Sox, but I'm kind of rooting for this Phillies team to maybe make a run. So get out there, you fighting Phils, Get your batteries and nickels and dimes out and start throwing them at Red Sox fans. Right, one of
3: the so, fields in the home league has uh, astroturf, and by like men's Sunday league, and that ball still jumps. It's the it's the newer age field turf, but uh, it it can still jump on you, and uh, it really picks up spin on. Uh, yeah, if you hit one that corkscrews off the bat, like you'll see balls just go fucking haywire all over the infield.
2: <laughs> I also watched the game seven of the Twins and the Braves in '91, the classic series, and this relates to that because they're playing in the homer dome right the metrodome mike stanton's pitching and somebody bunts but he gets by the first baseman and him so mike stanton runs it down because the second baseman was running to cover second base and he (laughs) sprained his knee just running to grab it because he's just running on astroturf it just it wouldn't have happened if he was on grass it was was a crucial time too it was like the ninth inning it's crazy so so long astroturf we'll miss you all right matchup number three fucking yankees are back again the 99 yankees versus the 88 dodgers oh baby man this is i know where my heart lies in this one deary what do you got on the yankees though we've covered the 2000 and the 98 yankees what else can we say about the 99 yankees
0: yeah obviously a similar team what i'm going to talk about is just the world series that year uh they take on the braves uh a braves team that won 103 games go 103 and 59 Um, The Yankees were 19 games above 500 on the road that year. Um, In the World Series, they ended up being one of the biggest letdowns. I was a Braves fan as a kid because of that pitching staff. Yankees outscore the Braves 21-9 in the series. Game one, John Rocker falls apart. Kevin Millwood starts game two, gets murdered. David Code and Stellar. Um, Game three, Braves have a 5-1 lead, and they blow it in extra innings. Chad Chad Curtis hits the walk-off. And then, you know, and then game four, they, they lose as well. Uh, Braves bat 200 in the series and gets what?
2: Chad Curtis is a petter ass now, by the way. In Michigan, he is in jail. He was a teacher and he took advantage of people. Just a note that Chad Curtis is a scumbag. Uh, Steve, what do you think of this 99 Yankees team?
3: Uh, yeah, again, it's the 98 Yankees a year later. Uh, I mean, I remember being excited about uh, Ricky Laday's prospects. Uh, that didn't quite pan out. Uh, we got to see a, a little dead cat bounce from Chili Davis in his age 39 year. That was pretty fun. I loved watching him hit. Uh, El Duque had a stellar year. Uh, I like to watch him pitch just to that goofy windup. Uh, I mean, I mean, it was a fun team. And uh, they, got, they got huge innings out of Ramiro Mendoza. I forgot, like, how often this guy was used. He I mean, seemed like he was in the game every night. And uh, you you could just lean on him in uh, later innings. He didn't have the best ERA that year, but better FIP, and uh, I mean, he could get out.
2: Yeah, this so it was in uh, February before the '99 season that that uh, Homer Bush trade you were talking about officially went down. So they so Roger Clemens officially became part of the fold, and Daryl Strawberry was still hanging around. Uh, Jim Leyritz was moved on, so the team had some parts that switched up a bit, but you're right. It's basically the same team we've been talking about. Nothing new under the sun with this team. Uh, I will say uh, David Cohn's perfect game happened in uh, 99, uh, 6-0 over the Expos, so there's a little note. Uh, That doesn't happen very often. However, let's talk about this 88 Dodgers team. I love this team. It's so trashy and it's got Kirk Gibson. We all we all know the story of Kirk Gibson, but Deary, what can we learn about this 88 Dodgers team?
0: They had one player that had over 80 RBIs and his name wasn't Kirk Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it, it's such a funny team, man. Uh 248 average. Um they scored 172 less runs in the season than the A's did. Uh obviously they beat the A's in the series. Um in five, the A's had 104 wins. Dodgers somehow won 94 games. Uh, they did have an excellent bullpen, and Oral Hershiser puts together one of the greatest pitching years of all time: 23 and eight, 2.26 ERA, 15 complete games, eight shutouts, and he had the 59-inning scoreless streak. So, uh, I mean, pitching so it was was pretty much uh, what what got them where they needed to be. Obviously, Gibson has one of the uh, maybe worst MVP season statistically by, by a guy. I think he batted like two ninety, uh, like 25 steals, 20 home runs, 80 RBIs, uh, gets hurt at the end of the year. Um, and then obviously, you know, gets hurt in the playoffs and then comes back for game one and the, you know, unbelievable walk-off that he hits off Eckersley. Um, you know, Gibson was a free agent, you know, they, they picked him up from Detroit, you know, he was in Detroit for eight, nine years. And, uh, he was the big signing that they brought over. And, uh, you know, his, his no bullshit attitude, uh, you know, looking back on this and seeing stories really helped this team because he got there and he was like, look, I'm not fucking around. Like I'm here to win. I just came from, from an organization that had some real professionals. I won a world series there. And uh, you know, there, there's been so many stories about this team. And uh, there's one I read last year about like, they're trying to play pranks on him in spring training. He's like, I'll fight all of you assholes. He goes, I take this shit serious. He goes, this, this is not something to mess around with. I'm here to, I'm here to win, and uh, I'm here to win a, win a World Series. And uh, and they pulled it off. They beat the Mets in seven in, uh, in the NLCS. Uh, the Mets were a fantastic team that year. Uh, they go 53-37 and 37 within their division. Uh, yeah, statistically, Steve can talk about some of the guys in this lineup, but uh, it doesn't blow you away on paper. But uh, they were just able to get it done when it mattered. So, uh, fun, a, a fun team.
2: Yeah, it's it's a bizarro team. There's no doubt about it. Uh, quick thing before we get to Steve. So I think Hirschheiser probably should just won the Cy Young and the MVP. They've done it before. He should just got both of them. It seemed like in hindsight an obvious choice because this was the year of the 59 consecutive scoreless innings. He set the record. Uh, Guy, what else can you tell us about this Dodgers team?
3: So, yeah, uh, Bulldog definitely carried the team. Uh, he did win the World Series MVP, so at least you got that. Uh, but it, this is – this is a devastating lineup to look at. Like, it, it hurts to look at. Like, yeah. it's not a devastating lineup in that they are good. It is, uh, it, uh It's wretch it's worthy. Like, uh, Alfredo Griffin, shout out to his buck ninety-nine batting average, and he liked a 513 on-base plus slugging. I mean, it was garbage lineup. Five of the eight regulars in the lineup had an OPS plus south of 100. This is a triple-A lineup. that won the World Series. It's insane against the A's, the powerhouse A's. Bash brother, Ricky Henderson. Like, are you kidding? I don't know how this happened. This, I mean, this is more shocking to me. I know people were shocked when the Reds took the '90s series, but this one is truly shocking to me. But it was it was Oral Hershiser, Bulldog baby.
2: I think that's a great point, Steve. You're right. This Dodgers team is worse than that Reds. That Reds team's good. There's a lot of that. – we'll get to it. The bullpen's legendary. But this Dodgers team has got Hershiser and then just a bunch of scraps in the lineup. But Deary said it's an excellent bullpen, so they do deserve credit for that. But in my opinion, it, they got a, a hot streak. And September was the month of the scoreless inning streak where Hershiser just went nuts. It's funny that they still finish seven games ahead of second place team, your Cincinnati Reds, Steve. Isn't isn't that weird? Uh, it's crazy. I just wonder. I wonder if there's a decision here that's not obvious. Deary, are you are you going to go with the Dodgers in this matchup, or do you are you feeling that they don't deserve it?
0: Oh, the Dodgers to win this matchup. Um, can Hershiser pitch every game? I mean, so Tim <laughs> Tim Leary and Tim Belcher. Combined, they go they go 29 and 17. Both had ERAs of 2.91. So it, it wasn't just Hershiser. They had to get it done with some other guys. Uh, Fernando. I mean, uh, for, you know, Fernando. Don Sutton was pitching for them that year. He was 43. Apparently he pitched in 16 games. But yeah, really good bullpen. Uh, Jay Halla, Alejandro Pena, uh, Tim Cruz, Jesse Orozco. You know, I mean, if you're talking about seventh inning guys you know one of the best in history is that left-handed uh arm of Jesse Orozco but uh I think it would be really hard to win a matchup against this uh against this 99 Yankees team because like we like what we talked about it's much the same team as the 98 team um yeah, yeah it would, you it would, think it would Orozco's still pitching pitching. <laughs> yeah he might i mean it would take uh can hersheiser pitch every game i mean you would get a healthy gibson so uh i mean that would help out but uh yeah i i would lean towards the yankees but it it doesn't it doesn't change that i have a, a very fond you know attraction and love to the to the 88 dodgers steven uh, i'm taking the yankees this matchup
3: uh they're i mean that's prime years of the dynasty, and uh, this i mean, this Dodgers team is, uh, you know, Parshizer and Smoke and Mirrors, so give me the eggs.
2: So true. I'm no, i am never going to forget that. You're right. I'm. My brain has been altered by this pod because it really is a bigger upset. The Reds are not the bigger upset of these A's teams. This was a really good A's team. This Dodgers team is trash, so
0: thank but you the, for clarifying the, that. The Reds were wire to wire, weren't they, Steve? Yeah. Led the whole year.
2: Yeah. Well, the Reds are coming up momentarily. So, first, we have to talk about the number two seed, Atlanta Braves, of 1995 versus the recently advanced 2003 Marlins. So, the Marlins crowd got behind their fish army, and uh, they brought them for a, an L.E. showdown, oddly enough. Dear this Atlanta team of 95 is the only World Series winning team of the Braves' legacy an incredible run from 91 to 06 of 15 straight division titles, I think. Um, what do you think of this 95 Braves team?
0: Yeah, so obviously it's a shortened season. They go 90 and 54. Uh, they beat a 100 win Indian team that had 100 wins in only 144 games. So that was pretty crazy. They beat them four games to two. Greg Maddox puts up one of the most incredible seasons you're ever going to see out of a starting pitcher. He goes 19 and 2, 1.63 ERA. Between him, Smoltz and Glavin, they go 47 and 16. They led the league in ERA. They gave up 60 less runs than any other team in the majors. Um, the lineup doesn't blow you away. Um, they were kind of more middle middle of the pack. Average batting average was only 250. Uh, they traded for Marquise Grissom during this year, so I think that helped them out defensively in the outfield. And he can steal some bases. I don't think it was the best Braves team out of you know the 15 years. I'd probably put four or five other teams ahead of them. But you know they're they're able to get it done, and when you have a pitching staff that has you know Maddox, Glavin, uh, and Smoltz, it, you're going to be it's going to be really really hard to win a seven game series. Uh, so that's why I think this team's really 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 good.
2: Steve, your Reds were in the NLCS against this Braves team, and uh, they were swept, unfortunately. But Mark Wallers this is when Mark Wallers could actually throw strikes. Uh, anything? About the Braves team that you remember from watching that NLCS, because you were about 15, so you probably remember that series.
3: Yeah, so uh, the Braves, you know, were Reds killers my entire life. You know, because it was it was that 15 uh, year dynasty, and for some of those years, we were stuck in the uh, NL East when there was only just uh, two divisions. So uh, running up against the Braves, I think half the games I saw at Riverfront Stadium ended in a Braves win. Like it just seemed like they were always killing the Reds. But, uh, yeah, you, I don't know how this team did not win more World Series. It's weird that this 95 team is the winner. Uh, and I would say a lot of it had to do with, uh, we had a Ryan Klesko breakout here. And then, uh, I mean, they got, they got four aces like a winning poker fan. Like, uh, they're, they're just stocked. And uh, that lineup top to bottom is real solid. Uh, they, were, they were a truly balanced team. Already, and then uh, they managed to maintain a lot of that balance throughout the uh, dynast- dynastic run.
2: Yeah, this Braves team—I they I completely agree—they should have won more World Series. It's—it's it's a real shame. People could say, "Oh, well, they were still really good." No, when you have the ability and capitalize on it, and you don't, that's—that's that's on you guys. uh Jerry, we talked about the '03 Marlins last week. We talked about Miggy' as rookie year, and everybody knows about Bartman. What else could we say about this '03 Marlins team? Who? Easily beat uh, the Expos in their first-round matchup.
0: Yeah, so we talked about this being the most impressive playoff run ever. Um, this team started 19-29. and 29, um, Obviously bring in, um, you know, McKeon to be their manager. And they end up finishing 10 games behind the Braves, end up being a wild card, and they just roll through the playoffs. Uh, the thing that was really impressive going deeper into these stats, they dominated within their division. They were 20 games above five hundred. And they had a winning record against every single team in the division, including the Braves. Uh, There were 28 games above 500 at home, led the league in steals. Uh, You know, the signing of Pudge Rodriguez that we talked about last week was, was impressive. Uh, This is a good team. This is, I think better than the 97 team. Sure. They, they only won 91 games, but you start 10 games below 500 through almost 50 games. It's a really, really impressive comeback to play that well the rest of the year. So, uh, This is an intriguing matchup uh, because I think you just have to look at, um, you know, the totality of that Braves team, obviously an amazing pitching staff, but this '03 3 Marlins had a really good pitching staff as well, so uh, I'm really, really intrigued to see how the voting of this goes. Yeah, the
2: 2003 Marlins were the second team ever to be 10 games under 500 or more at some point during the season and still win the world series the 1914 boston braves being one of the other teams so obviously the mckeon manager change getting jeff torberg kicked out brought in a whole new scheme so steven you weren't here with us last week give us everything you love about this oh three marlins team
3: First of all, uh, the defense really stands out. Iván Rodriguez behind the plate. Uh, Derek Lee scooped up everything he could get to balls that no one else could get to. Uh, Luis Castillo was a wizard, uh, and I think this is the this is the last uh, pre-saber metrics type of team that's out there. Like it, it was built with like the the speedy leadoff hitters with like Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo, and then you had sort of middle of the order power, and uh, it just wasn't wasn't uh built like today's teams there wasn't a lot of the uh three true outcomes so uh i think i think this is the last one that uh was uh you know sort of the the prototype of the teams that we grew up with like uh, the way they wanted to arrange their roster uh you know in uh, the 90s and this is uh 2003 so it was, uh, it was the last of them the last of us
2: yes the, that's a good call the two- the last one. <laughs> And of course, Tim Spuny Burgers on this team. We love that, don't we, Deary? Tim Spuny Burger. All right. So the Marlins of '03 versus this '95 Braves team, Deary. Who you got?
0: Uh, I'm gonna go with the '95 Braves just because of that three-headed monster. Um, you know, pitching. I think it would just be really hard for the Marlins to score. The good news is the Marlins play that kind of small ball type deal, like Steve talked about with you know having those super, uh, speedsters at the top of the lineup. So if, if they play each other in a series. I mean, I think it would be a close series. I think it would be low scoring. Um, but I, I, I'd probably give the edge to the Braves here in 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 six games.
3: Any arguments, Steve? Oh, it is. It's closer for me than I thought it was going to be when we first started. Um, man, I think the Marlins can make it close. Uh, I mean, the, the Braves is really, you know, is a dynasty in its beginning, uh, and this is tough for me. I'm going to take – I still got to go with the Braves, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, all those Florida fans out there definitely uh, can, can poke holes on that.
2: Oh, baby. Hey, this is a tough matchup. I was kind of thinking the Marlins could pull the upset, so I'm hoping they do. I'm going to take the Marlins. Uh, we'll see if there's any Braves fans out there that care right now. It'll be interesting to see how the voting goes. Okay, we're halfway home, folks. Don't forget, you can hit us up on Twitter for the voting, which starts tonight at Palazzo Podcast. Two L's, two Z's. We would love to get you participating. Share with your friends. Tell your dad. Hey, dad, look, uh, our team's in this World Series bracket. Let's vote for it. And he'll be like, "Okay, son, let's do it." Should be fun. All right, so now here it is, guys. The moment of truth: the '84 Tigers versus the 1990 Cincinnati Redlegs. Two World Series champions. Two very different stories. We're going to start first with the Tigers. Deary, take it away.
0: Yeah, Tigers, uh, 104 wins, obviously 35 and 5. If you live in Detroit, 35 and 5 is a number that you know because they started the season 35 and 5. Jack Morris throws a no hitter in the first week of the season. They go 7 and 1 in the playoffs, dismantle the Padres in, in 5. Uh, one of the more balanced lineups you're going to see in this tournament uh they led the majors in home runs rbis runs on base percentage between chet lemon i mean you had chet lemon and gibby in center field and right field uh you know two gold gloves up the middle with trammell and whitaker Uh, chet lemon led the league in fielding percentage uh the big wheel uh lance parrish behind home plate led the team in home runs he also had a gold glove won the division by 15 games, a winning record against everyone in the American League. Um, And then you look at this pitching staff, I mean, just top to bottom, just like guys that just really performed. And what really set them over the edge is, you know, the bullpen, Willie Hernandez and Aurelio Lopez, between the two of them, appear in 151 games. Willie Hernandez wins MVP and Cy Young, it's funny as I was doing a little bit of research and trying to rank these teams, uh, I immediately put them as a one seed. And, you know, Mike was like, are, are we being homers, but I put them as a one seed. I don't think so at all. I think, you know, you read, read more up on this and more of the experts talk about this being one of the better teams of all time, if not top 10, definitely top 15 of all time. And I think they're a really tough team to beat in this bracket. Um, it was just a team, you know, you got Sparky Anderson, uh, First manager to win two World Series in, in both leagues, you got an impressive manager. Uh, you know, it's just studs up and down this lineup, guys that you know really, really performed when they needed to, and it was it was a special year. It's too bad that we were three years old during this season, and and you know, I remember the '87 team because you know that's right when I'm really starting to get into baseball. You know, the '87 team, and you know, obviously over the past 15 years, but I wish this team happened in '87, and it's a shame that this team didn't win more than than they did in 84. I mean, I think with an expanded uh, playoff, they would have made the uh, playoffs a lot more in the late 70s and early 80s. But this was a culmination. All these guys were were from the farm. They drafted all these guys. Whitaker and and Gibson and Trammell. These guys all came up together. Uh, You know, they brought Chet Lemon over, who had had been in the American League for for quite a bit. Uh, So real, real impressive team. Uh, I'm sad that they got to go against the Reds because I love the Reds as well. And I know that's Steve's team. Steve's probably favorite team of all time, so uh, what a team. Um, Not much else I I, I can say about it. Uh, Fantastic team. Love the 84 Tigers.
2: Yeah, the the Tigers. The bless you boys. That's right. Steve, we know that you want the Reds to win this matchup, but we want to hear what you have to say about the Tigers. And before you say that, I just want to say that I agree with what Steve said earlier and then what you just said, Deary, that the Tigers should have won more they should have been in another world series at least they definitely should not have lost the 87 alcs to the twins they had a much better record and more talent that that twins team won 85 games that was a joke it was, that was a big upset that was very disappointing so having said that steve tell us why this Tigers team's fantastic
3: okay so uh one of my earliest baseball memories is going to the old tiger stadium and uh i watched lou Whitaker and alan trammell like my uncle took me there early shout out to uncle kent uh, I watched Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell warm up, playing long toss along the uh, first baseline. And uh, I think Trammell was like, you know, most of the way down the right field line. And Lou stand staying uh, around home plate. And they're just warming up. And they are throwing lasers that went about six feet off the ground uh, just to the outfield and back. And just, it looks so easy to them. And uh, so, yeah, I got to, I got to, I mean, I get the feels when I think about that. That was uh, one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. It made me want to play baseball. Uh I I love that. Uh, this this team top to bottom it, it was so good on uh both offensively and defensively. Uh the the pitching was stellar. Uh you got uh 317 plus game winners on this team. Uh and like Deary said the bullpen was lights out and you could rely on them for as many innings as you need them. So uh, there's there's not really a weak spot on this team it's excellent let's talk about the Cincinnati Redlegs uh, one
2: note on the Tigers team Willie Hernandez who won the Cy Young in 1984 incredibly Cy Young and MVP correct yep. Which is stunning that a reliever won Cy Young and MVP that's what that's one of the biggest rarities of this but he was also in the World Series the year before with the Phillies in 1983 against the Orioles. So he had that experience. And that's just a little fun fact that he got to play in back-to-back world series
0: with two different teams. So Deary, tell us about these red legs. Yeah. So obviously we talked about them last week. Uh, I mean, just a couple other points that I'll, I'll hit on. Uh, Sure. This team was 91 and 71, but it could have been better than that. They started the year 41 and 21 and went 500 the rest of the way. So they went 500 down the, down the, Last 100 games. Uh, obviously, we talked about the Nasty Boys, uh, unbelievable relief pitching. Uh, relief pitching WAR for this team was 5.7. It was almost two points ahead of any other relief uh, relief staff out there. Uh, so that was pretty incredible. Uh, they're second in the NL and ERA, second in saves, and then you know that amazing series in '90 where they upset the A's. Uh, Jose Rios ends up being MVP. He has 15 innings, only gives up one run. Billy Hatcher has seven straight hits in this series, Matt 750 for the series. And they just roll through the 103-win A's. So, uh, yeah, the, this Reds team only winning 91 games, I think it was better than 91 games. They just they just didn't seem to fully put it together down, down, down the stretch, uh, considering how they started.
2: Yeah, and they also had to beat the Pirates team in the NLCS that was up and coming and would go to a couple NLCSs in the early nineties before Barry Bonds bailed out. So the Reds team didn't just beat the A's. They had to get through the pirates. Go ahead, Steve. Gush about your 1990 reds. Let's hear it.
3: So, yeah, uh, I think the reason for uh, the slowdown was uh, starting pitching like uh, Danny Jackson wasn't healthy. Uh, he was a 20 game winner. Uh, I think it was maybe Jack Armstrong's past year though. So that kind of balances it out. But, uh, yeah, man, this uh, this is this is my favorite team ever. Uh, I, all the uh, all the prototypes uh, that I think of now when I think of players were were built from this team. Like uh, you got a fast twitchy guy like uh, Ronald Acuna now, and like that, that was Eric Davis back then. Like, just uh, just a complete like wiry fucking beast. And then uh, like a shortstop that can hit and run, like uh, Barry Larkin had a thirty thirty season. So like uh, there wasn't a lot of that going on back then, in, like 1990. We're still like getting, you know, one home run from Ozzy Smith, but yeah, like, he's always going to be the wizard. And then uh, they they started doing things like the plug and play first base platoon that you see a lot of now, and uh, having that shutdown bullpen. That, I mean, that's that's key to today's game. So I think you see a lot of the uh, prototypes of today's game start to develop with this team. And uh, I mean, it it was. It was so much fun to watch that series. Uh, They just, I mean, Rio rolled through uh, the Davis home run in game one. Uh, I just wanted him to get one out of the way because I didn't want him to have a bad series. And then, you know, of course, game four, he lacerates his kidney, tore it in four places. And then fucking Marge shot made him pay for his own flight home because he had to stay in the hospital in Oakland to get his kidney looked after. Says, you were the worst fucking human being of all time. You fucking Nazi love are racist ass. Fuck you. Die in hell. March shot. <laughs>
2: That's that pretty much says it all. Thank you, Steve. That's my sentiments. Exactly. So gentlemen, taking your bias out of it. Can you objectively make a decision here? Will anybody go against their team? Deary? I assume that you. There's no way you can go against the Tigers on this, and I don't
0: blame you if you do. I think what I would look forward to most is I would. I would like to see Norm Charlton face Gibby, and I'd like to see Charlton throw behind Gibby, and Gibby loses fucking shit, charges the mound, and see a brawl between these two teams. Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously it's, it, it's not bias here. I just, I just think the, the Tigers are too balanced. Um, the the red starting staff uh, obviously obviously scares me a bit. You know, if, if they can have a lead getting into the sixth inning, then you got a real shot. Um, but the problem is the Tigers got the a bullpen that that is comparable. Maybe they don't have the three headed horse of the nasty boys, but uh, I mean, really, Olopo's was ten and one this year out of the bullpen, and obviously with Hernandez winning Cy Young and MVP, I mean, they were lights out in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning as well. And you know that starting staff of of uh, Petrie Morris and uh, Wilcox uh, I think that takes them over the edge and uh, I think the Tigers would win this series
2: Steve we know that you want to vote for the Reds but uh who would you who 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 how how can it can it be done can the Reds upset the Tigers? it is,
3: it is so close for me uh I mean I can see realities where uh, the Reds win but I mean just I mean looking at the uh Look at the Tigers' stack lineup. Uh, I mean, too much power there for me. Uh, I mean, The Reds could string together some hits and run, but uh, I think it would take something like that. Uh, they would just have to be lucky with uh, where the hits came in. So if all the hits string together, you know, Billy Hatcher's hits matter. He doesn't get stringed on base. Reds pull it off. But uh, if they can't string any hits together, uh, which would be difficult against the, uh, the Tigers' staff. Uh, you know they got guys like Jack Morris who were known for gritting it out. Once people got on base, they would sort of bear down and uh, you know try a little harder, find the extra gear. Uh, I, I I think the Tigers edged the Reds.
2: Wow, there it is. That is a honest, objective man. I think you made a great case for the Reds in the first part of this discussion, though. So I'd like to see the Reds get a lot of votes. Let's see what happens. I know there's some Tigers fans on Twitter, and I've seen some Reds fans because they obviously voted for the Reds to get past the Cardinals in round one. So this will be an intriguing matchup, probably the one I'll watch with the most excitement as it unfolds in the coming week. Let's go Reds. Go Reds. Go Tigers. Eat them up, Tigers. Eat them up. All right. We got a couple games left here. This is an interesting matchup here. It's the 2005 White Sox. Strange to me that they won a World Series, but it did happen versus the 1991 Minnesota Twins, who pulled off another seven-game series miracle in one of the most highly tense extra-inning-riddled World Series there's ever been.
0: Christopher Deary, what's up with this 05 White Sox team? I hate this team. <laughs> um, the, the reason I hate this team is because I just hate the fucking White Sox. Um, A.J. Pierzynski, Joe Creedy, Scott Podsednik, Aaron Rowan, None of these guys are likable at all. Um, you know, obviously they play in the same division as the Tigers. Uh, so it's not a team I like. But this, is a, this was a good team. This was a wire-to-wire team that won 99 games. They go 11-1 in the playoffs. So, I mean, looking at this bracket, very few teams can match what they did in the playoffs, um, defeating the Astros in the series. Uh, they were 30 games above 500 in the division. Uh, Paul Konerko puts up the best season for them with 40 home runs. And they had a really, really good starting pitching staff—Burley, uh, Garland, Garcia, Contreras. That's 63 wins right there. All of their ERAs were in the, the the low to mid threes. That's really good in a in a league where they're just bashing all over the place. And they left the least amount of guys on base in the in the in the majors, uh, and also second in the AL in stolen bases. So it's a balanced team. It's a team that you know maybe. You, Looking back on it and looking kind of at some of the statistics, it doesn't blow you out of the the water. But 99 wins is really, really impressive. So as much as I hate the players on this team, could stand Ozzie Guillen, Ken Williams annoys the hell out of me, I got to give him some credit. This was a good team. Well, I agree
2: with you. I don't like the White Sox either, especially since we're from Detroit. But this team is due a lot more credit than they're getting. So, Steve, why? Do people deserve, or why do the White Sox deserve to get the people's respect?
3: First of all, this was this was another curse-breaking team, right? Exactly. So we got that. Uh, I get, this was uh, one of the weirder pitching staffs to ever watch because they were so good that year. They, they had uh, Freddie Garcia won 14 games every, uh, Burley 16, 18 for John Garland. Remember he had a couple really good years. Jose Contreras from Cuba. Uh, 15 wins, and they did it all without striking anyone out. It was crazy. I mean, there were kings of soft contact. It was like those uh, twins teams led by Brad Radke were like – it seemed like they were always trying to find, like, the softest tossing guy in the league whose number one pitch was his changeup. And that was every guy on here. Bar, Barley, Garcia, Garland all had changeups, and Contreras had the uh, they had the splitter for his off-speed. So, I mean, these were, like, kings of soft contact on the mound. Uh, so it, it was really fun to watch. a lot of balls in play and they had a good defense behind them. Like, yeah, Joe Creedy and Scott Pitsed and Aaron Rowan were assholes, but like they they fucking got <laughs> after it. They they could get to like every ball in the outfield. Jermaine Dye had a cannon and right. And uh uh A. J. Persinski, like it or not, I mean he's he gets under everyone's skin, but uh yeah, that's that's the guy you want in the playoffs barking at hitters when they come up to the plate. You're getting in their fucking heads. So uh you like him if he's on your team, but Sorry, White Sox fans. Everyone else hates him.
2: <laughs> That's so true. Uh, Ozzie Gian led them. He was a player for the White Sox, and he helped them with a World Series victory. Uh, the year later, by the way, was the year the Tigers went to the World Series, so it's kind of fun. That's why I think I always forget this team, because 06 always stands out. But the White Sox made a lot of offseason moves they deserve credit for. Uh, Jermaine Dye ended up being a World Series MVP, was signed in the offseason. They got Dustin Hermanson was added. Uh, they traded Carlos Lee to get Scott Pesednik, which ended up helping their defense, which, as you guys mentioned, the defense was really good on this team. Because if they're going to have a lot of pitching and soft contact, you got to have guys who can, can gobble up that baseball. And uh, yeah, Bobby Jenkins?
3: Pitching on this team, uh, they had a higher fifth than they did ERA. So, yeah, it was definitely the defense picking them up.
2: Absolutely. So that's a good point. How about the other side of this matchup here? The 91 Twins. This is a team that got some lucky breaks in the World Series, but they also had a pretty solid regular season. Deary, what's up with these 91 Twins?
0: Yeah, interesting team here. I mean, they they go 95 and 67. This is the worst of first Twins. They, I believe, won 72 games or 74 games the year before and finished last in the AL West. So they they come out, they have a, a great year, as do the Braves in the National League. They play an iconic series that goes seven. Obviously, everybody remembers the insane. Game seven, uh, Morris against uh, Smoltz there. Uh, yeah, looking at this lineup, I mean, Kirby Puckett's the, the well known guy, the Hall of Famer um, on this team. You know, Kent Rubeck puts up another solid season. Uh, Chili Davis. Besides that, I mean, there's not many guys in this offense that kind of jumps out at you, but you got to kind of dive deeper into some of these statistics. They led the league in batting average, they led the league in on base percentage, they were second in slugging. And they had a two eighty average, so they may not have been knocking the ball out of the park, uh, but they were they were doing what they needed to do to get on base, and they also had the least amount of strikeouts in the majors. So, get on base and move around, and uh, that's how you're going to score runs. Uh, pitching staff: Morris, Tappity, and Erickson all have a really really good seasons, and they played really phenomenal defense. They were uh, second in the majors, the least uh, second least amount of uh, errors in the majors. So, this was a really good team. I. I Remember this 91 series uh, so well. Um, One of my, you know, probably most memorable World Series. Obviously, you know, Buck, you know, making the amazing calls. Uh, Kirby makes a a crazy catch. Uh, I believe that was game six. He hits the walk-off home run. Uh, It was such an incredible uh, series and a good team. This is an interesting matchup. Two AL Central uh, teams. I know the Twins weren't in the Central back then, but uh, this is an interesting matchup. I like this Twins team. Uh, you, you know, you got guys like Gene Larkin and Al Newman, uh, Scott Laas coming off the bench. Those guys, you know, could come off the bench and give you some hits when you need them. Randy Bush. Um, Dan Gladden's in the lineup on this team. Mike Pagliaro, uh, Greg Gagney. Interest, interesting team, for sure. Um, I was such a big Kirby Puckett fan. Um, and, uh, you know, he had another – Stellar season for them, uh, 352 OBP that year, 460 slugging, you know, real nice year for, for Puckett. This is a good, this is a good team. This would be a very, very interesting seven game series against the White Sox for sure.
2: Good stuff, Deary. I completely agree. This team won 15 games in a row, which was a huge winning streak in June of the season. It totally flipped the script on the year and got them into contention, which they uh, never gave up on. So Gary Gaetti left. He was a part of the 87 championship winning team. There were some changes, but there were some stalwarts like, God, who doesn't love Kirby Puckett? I mean, everybody on this panel, I assume, would universally say they love Kirby Puckett. And most people in baseball who like baseball, he's smiling. He's kind of thick and rotund, but he can run. He could do everything on the field. He could play a great center field. I mean, he was a center fielder. He looked like a first baseman. It's crazy. <laughs> Tell us about the twins, Steve.
3: Oh, yeah, I, I love this team. Uh, they, they were a lot of fun to watch, especially Kirby, like you were saying. Uh, yeah, thinking back to when, like, Tony Gwynn stole 50 bases. Like, speaking of guys who look like first baseman playing center field, like, it, it's nuts. Uh, I had the Kirby Puckett uh, starting lineup figure uh, for that catch at the wall. I love that thing. wonder if I still got in a box somewhere. But, yeah, this uh, this team was a lot of fun to watch. And then if we're talking about a matchup with the 05 Sox with the, that uh, – the change up heavy pitching staff with guys who put the ball in play. I think this would be a really exciting series to watch. A lot of small ballers, a lot of speed in both these teams. Um, yeah, I I think all the people are, who are hating the uh three true outcomes style of baseball would would absolutely die for a series between these two teams. But uh given given the uh pitching staff, I so like you know, Jack Morris is gonna get you a couple wins, but uh I I, I gotta go with the deeper staff of the White Sox. I think they pull it up.
2: Yeah, this team totally reminds me of uh, Sports Talk Baseball, the Sega Genesis game. Like this 91, 92, this Twins team, all these teams from the early 90s. And Jack Buck being the main reason because Jack Buck is a constant reminder of us living in an era being stuck with the shitty buck. And I don't want to sit here and be the guy who rips on Joe Buck because it's so commonplace, but it's not even close. If you listen to Jack Buck call the series, like I watched game seven yesterday, it's so much more authentic. It's a unique voice. It's so baseball and Joe Buck is so not his dad. That's why I hate it more because of the fucking nepotism involved. So, ah, sorry, Joe Buck, but you are who you are and you can't hide it from us. Your dad will always outshine you no matter what. Uh, Bottom line, though, this would be a hell of a series. Deary, who you got, White Sox or Twins? Uh, you can't vote for the White Sox. You won't do it.
0: No, I can't. Rick Rick Aguilera, uh, he, he'll get four saves in this series, and they, uh, they beat the White Sox in seven. <laughs> All right. Steve? Uh,
3: like I said, I took the White Sox. How about you, Mike?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna go with the uh, Twins in this one, just because they had the magic. It was it's just enough to win, but this series would go seven games, and it could go either way, because the Twins were lucky when they beat the Braves. There was a lot of breaks; the things could have gone either way. But Jack Morris on the bump, I would take slightly over any of the other starters for Game Seven, even though John Garland was amazing and the White Sox did have a better overall staff. But for one game, Jack Morris is the man. Okay, two matchups left, guys. They're back! Jack Morris is not trash. (laughs) So they're back, guys. The 09 Yankees have returned. This is the team that finally gave them a title because they didn't have a title for eight years. Oh, my gosh! What will the Yankees fans do? 09 Yankees versus the 2001 Diamondbacks, a team I love. I love this 01 Diamondbacks team, and I don't even like the Diamondbacks. So let's start, though, with the 09 Yankees. Chris, is this team different than the teams that won four World Series from 96 to 2000?
0: I think it's better than them. Uh, I think the only team that's uh, better than this Yankees team is is the 98 Yankees. Uh, So this team just murdered the ball. Seven players had over 20 home runs. They led the league in almost all power categories. Uh, Before the season starts, uh, Steinbrenner relinquishes control of the team. Um, They go 33 games above 500 at home, 103 wins beat a really, really good Phillies team that was trying to go for back-to-back titles. Uh, Hideki Matsui has an amazing game six on the series, Uh, has six RBIs uh, home run. Um, It was funny reading up on this team. I forgot about this in the off season before this, the A-Rod steroid controversy really started to ramp up. And he had admitted that he took roids when he was in uh, Texas. So, it was a really interesting time to be a Yankees fan, of course, because I well, – not me as a Yankees fan, but living with a Yankees fan. She hated A-Rod so much during this time, but still absolutely had to root for the team. I mean, Rivera's still there, uh, you know, has another stellar year. And Sabathia goes 19-8, and 3.37 ERA. This was a really, really good team with an amazing lineup. But I love this matchup of what they're going against uh, on the other side.
2: 2009 Yankees, Steve. Why are they better than any of the other teams from the late 90s?
3: Uh, lineup construction. This, the, I mean, this is a murderer's row here. Uh, Double-digit home runs for every single starter in the lineup. Uh, they didn't strike out. They got on base. Uh, this, this is, like, the most feared lineup. There there wasn't any part of the lineup that couldn't do damage to you. So you were never safe as a pitcher. There was no easy part of the order. Uh, this, I mean, this is one of, this is the, the type of team that made people hate the Yankees because they, I mean, there, there was no, there was no plucky David Eckstein or anything on this team. This was just professional fucking ballplayers. So, and you know, a little bit of steroids with a but uh, these, these guys were amazing. Amazing lineup top to bottom. And then, uh, you know, they, they had those top three starters. Is Sabathia won 19 games. He was uh, you know, unahillable. Uh, AJ Burnett, Andy Pettit, and then, you know, you know, he's got Mo Rivera picking it up on the backside. So, I mean, this this team is very well-constructed. I think they would make uh, the 98 Yankees, you know, give them a run for their money. Yeah, it's cool that we
2: got the D-backs taking on a Yankees team because they beat the Yankees in the '01 one World Series. But the 0-9 Yankees deserve a lot of credit. I don't like that team at all, but they are a monster with lineup and power, 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 and they can get on base. Nick Swisher had a 370 OBP, but he hit 248. so – This is the kind of team where they could just always have guys on base and manufacture
0: three-run homers. Earl Weaver. I think Nick Swisher had 98 walks, and he batted like eighth in the order. (laughs) There you go. That's a perfect example. Earl Weaver would be proud
2: of this team. So now let's talk to D-backs. This is the 2001 miraculous D-back team. This is when 9-11 happened. So I think it's fair to say the majority of the country was rooting for the New York Yankees. But it proves that, you know, sometimes the storybook ending doesn't happen. The Diamondbacks won in a really tight series where it seemed like Byung-Hung Kim blew a <laughs> save like five times. What do you think of this team, Deary?
0: Obviously one of the most memorable uh, World Series of all time. Uh, you talked about how everyone was rooting for the Yankees. I was rooting for the Diamondbacks. Um, You know, that that team was just so fun. Luis Gonzalez puts up one of the most insane years ever, 57 home runs, 325 average, 142 RBIs. That wasn't good enough for the MVP. That wasn't even good enough to finish second in the voting of MVP. He finished third in the voting. Like, those numbers are ridiculous. Uh, Looking at this lineup, uh, it's veteran after veteran after veteran. There's no starter in this lineup in their 20s. You got Mark Grace, Jay Bell, Matt Williams, Steve Finley, Reggie Sanders. All these guys are just just veterans that have been around forever. Um, but it comes down to those the the two headed monster of Schilling and Johnson. They go forty three and twelve as as starters, uh, both ERAs uh, under three. Johnson's was two four nine. And you know if you got to face those two guys in a seven game series and you're facing each of them three times, you're gonna have a really really difficult time. Uh, it was a fun team. Uh, they, you know, seemed to get it done and get the, the, the key hit when you needed to. You know, the, uh, you know, Tony Womack, you know, has an amazing play. I mean, uh, Craig Council, you know, just guys that really took care of business when it needed to get done, get that clutch hit. I mean, no one else in this lineup really had an amazing season. Uh, Reggie Sanders had a really nice season: thirty-three home runs, ninety RBIs. Besides that, nobody really blows you out of the water, but they were consistent. You know, they were able to. Hit for a good average, and, you know, it, it's amazing what Luis Gonzalez did that season. This is a fun team. I, I think what makes this team so difficult, and what I talk about, is putting them in a matchup where you you got to do with Schilling and Johnson. These are two guys at the peak of their game. Uh, Randy Johnson, I think, is the greatest left-handed pitcher of our lifetime. Uh, yeah, good good team. Really, really fun matchup here.
2: Yeah, this is a team that has great – Starting pitching, obviously, and signing Mark Grace in the offseason, that's a little morale booster, a veteran who's a KG vet. He brought a nice uh, piece. He's not a power hitter as a first baseman, but he's an excellent hitter for average, and he can get on base. So there's a lot of parts that just come together to make this a great team. Uh, Randy Johnson also, this in the regular season this, that year, he had the 20-strikeout game against Steve's Reds in May of 2001, unfortunately. Uh, And then, oddly enough, he comes in for relief when there was a delay or for Kurt Schilling, and he set a record for the most strikeouts in relief. He had 16 strikeouts in relief. It's crazy. Over seven innings. Uh, Steve, is this Diamondbacks team one of the more fun teams in this bracket or not? What do you think?
3: Uh, Aside from their uniforms, which were uh, (laughs) god-awful, I know some people remember them well, but I, I fucking hated them at the time. I don't like them now. But, uh, yeah, this, this team was fun, and, and they had the, the story of ending The guy who had 57 home runs that year fucking nubs one in, to walk it off in Game 7. Like, uh, I, I mean, it was, it was a great story for this team. Uh, and then, yeah, Schilling and Johnson were just unhittable all year uh, and then carried them all the way through that, uh, through that Yankees lineup. So, like uh, – uh, they they could probably have done it against the 2009 Yankees. This is really hard for me to figure out uh, which which team I would take here. But uh, yeah, this this was a fun team. Like you said, you got Mark Grace like like showing out with uh, you know 298 batting average and getting yeah, 15 homers, decent power. Like uh, only struck out 36 times all year, walked 67 times, mm. and that's a, that's a pro hitter they brought in. They all kind of they all kind of hit that way. So. Uh, this is, this would be a tough team to get by. And uh, great great defense in the outfield. I think Steve Finley is an underrated player for like his entire career. Uh Reggie Sanders was uh you know, a very very gifted player. Uh Tony Womack had some wizard moves. Uh and uh, Jay Bell was excellent at second base. I thought he, uh I remember he played a lot of shortstop early on. So you know, he basically had a shortstop over at second base and uh, Mark Grace is always a pretty good defender. So, yeah, this is – I mean, it's a really, really solid team.
2: Yeah, Tony Womack actually had a key hit in the NLDS. He had the walk-off game winner to beat the Cardinals 2-1 to one in game five. So, they had two playoff walk-offs that won them series during this run, which is very impressive. It shows that they're a very clutch team when it needs to be – when the chips were on the table, they made the play. So, I remember we watched, me and Steve, we talked about this before the show, uh, we watched this uh, Game 7 together in his basement back in 2001. We were playing video games like Madden 2001 or whatever the hell it was and <laughs> watching crappy movies like The Score starring De Niro yeah. and Edward Norton.
3: <laughs> Goof Nort. Goof
2: Nort, yeah. So I know I'll vote for the D-backs in this one. Uh, Deary,
0: where are you going to go? Uh, I'm going to go with the D-backs. Uh I I think the Yankees I think the Yankees overall are a better team because they're gonna be able to mash, but it comes down to Schilling and Johnson and the Diamondbacks would have would be able to score off this Yankees pitching staff. Uh, you know, Steve and I both pointed out just the veteran leadership and these guys did not strike out. I mean, Reggie Sanders struck out a ton, but besides that, none of these guys struck over struck out over eighty times and they and they did a good job getting on base. So uh I would go Diamondbacks in a really fun series, Steven? Yeah, uh,
3: another. I, I remember a lot of key plays from Diamondbacks bench players too. So I mean, you'd have uh, Craig Council, Dave DiLucci, Rubio Drago. I think there were some meaningful innings from Miguel Bautista. I, I think some of the uh, the role players. So when you got to line up like the Yankees, you're you're not getting those kind of contributions, and you're not going to want to take someone out for a platoon advantage or, uh, or a defense replacement and uh, Diamondbacks had that kind of versatility and uh, they obviously knew how to use it. So with, with all the veterans on that team, uh, they know how to get the best out of their players. And that, that one-two combo, those, those pocket aces, Schilling and Johnson, like, uh, I, I think the, the 2001 Diamondbacks could pull it off against uh, a Murders row of the 2009 Yankees. So yeah, I, those I'm pocket get, aces. Give it to the D-backs.
2: Yeah. All right. Those pocket aces are a fantasy manager's dream right there. No doubt about it. Um, wow. I really like that team. I would love to see the fans vote for this D backs team over this Oh nine Yankees team. Cause I would love to see what we're going to talk about next. I'd like to see the D backs versus the Cubs in round two. So that leads us into our final matchup of the podcast. Part one of two. We'll do the second half of the bracket on the next episode this weekend. It's the 2016 Chicago Cubs versus the 96 Yankees, the team that started the dynasty. <sighs> Deary, let's talk about the Cubs for once. I'm sick of talking Yankees. Talk about this 2016 Cub team.
0: Yeah, they, they finally get over the curse. Uh, they have an amazing regular season. So when we were putting this bracket together, I had them as a two seed. Uh, Mike kind of reworked some of the bracket and put them down a little lower. And uh, it was one of my kind of, quibbles about it and I was a little upset about it and I said look man you got to look back into this team they won 100 games uh, 103 wins take down a really good Giants team um, you know the Giants are in the middle of their dynasty uh, you know beat a Dodgers team who just started you know becoming the beast that they are now and they beat a really good Indians team as well and in, in a really really thrilling series down three games to two and end up uh, you know winning that series an amazing game six and game seven uh, you know solid lineup you got Chris Bryant, I believe he was a rookie That is either a rookie or his second year. He has 39 home runs, 102 RBIs. Uh, Rizzo, super solid. A guy like Ben Zobrist, um, you know, just a super utility guy. could play anywhere on the field. He was huge for them. Uh, a young Addison Russell. This was the best season that Addison Russell had. Uh, people thought we were going to see a lot out of him. He was only 22. He had a really nice season, 21 home runs, 95 RBIs um you know Dexter Fowler and Jason Hayward in the outfield were helping out with really good arms and speed um Javi Baez is a young rookie appears in 142 games but uh what was really good about this team was that this pitching staff was amazing this year John Lester Jake Arrieta Kyle Hendricks John Lackey and even Jason Hamill all had incredible years they all had double-digit victories Uh, two of them had ERAs under three, um, nobody had an ERA over, over four. So that, that starting pitching staff was just, just incredible for them. And, uh, you know, bullpen was a little shaky, but I, you know, with, you know, they're trying to figure out the closer between, you know, Hector Rondon, they had Carl Edwards Jr. then, um, yeah, Pedro Strope. They're kind of trying to piece together their bullpen, but, uh, it really worked out. Yeah, exactly. They trade for this and that that changes everything for them and you know, he it's a 1-year rental. <laughs> yep. And, and and then and then he leaves and uh yeah, he he bringing him in was huge down the stretch and it helped them to win the 103 games and you know, he was able to shut it down in the playoffs. But uh this pitching staff was just really good. This was a great Cubs team. Uh a lot of these guys are still there. I actually think they maybe have a better lineup now, but they really put it all together this year, and it was, it was just a magical year for them. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like the the 4 Red Sox where I, I feel like everybody was pulling for the Cubs. I certainly was because I can't stand the Indians. And, uh, yeah, it was a special moment. Joe Madden, obviously, uh, you know, great manager for them. And uh, Theo Epstein does it again, uh, turns around two franchises and uh, takes away two of the biggest curses in all of sports history. So uh, a very memorable team for sure.
2: Yeah, he cements his legacy as like as the legend. You know, you undo the Red Sox curse. That's one thing. But then you eliminate the goat. That's two. That's a few web scenes in the Hall of Fame just for those two things. So very cool. The Cubs are, as you said, dearie. I underrated them. Uh, I'm glad that we put them back as a two seed. They could have been a borderline one. I think they fit in good as a two seed. They had a great year. You know, forget the curse and all that stuff. They just had a solid team up and down. The fun idea the the kind of a bar conversation you can have with people you know or don't know about would you trade a role this Chapman for Glaber Torres if it knew you would win a title out of that I think uh having that question because Glaber's obviously turned into a really good and will become a great player it's fun to look back at that and think, hey would I do that again uh what about you guy would you do that trade every time
3: absolutely you get a world series title out of it uh yeah, you'll trade anyone on your team if it means you get to win World Series. Let's just, you know, hometown favorite. You don't want to do that. But, uh, yeah, if you're trading a guy who hasn't played a single game in the majors yet to get the best closer in baseball, when clearly that bullpen needed help, uh, that that was the last key that fell in place. And, uh, yeah, I remember them taking it real easy down the stretch with his uh, innings uh, that year. So he'd be fresher in the playoffs because he had faltered a little bit that season. and. Yeah, he came back strong, and you know, he, I mean, he was dominant.
2: And he, of course, he was a Cincinnati Red once upon a, a time. So I'm sure that doesn't factor into it. <laughs> I guess he
3: gave up the blast to it was a Rajai Davis.
2: Uh, yeah, that was bizarre. That, that game seven of that series was crazy. the, the rain delay, and then winning it in the tenth. Yeah. I mean, the Cubs they barely got through it. That's why I was uh seating them lower initially because i was stuck on the series so much but you got to give the whole resume it's crew it's due um is this cubs team the best team would you vote for these uh, guys guy? do you think the cubs are the better team in this matchup because uh, we... who's the matchup against oh yeah we haven't even talked about the
3: 96 yankees you're right <laughs> oh okay. uh, you're right we should, uh, we should uh, talk I about them so I, uh, a lot of the uh the sort of uh, Joe Madden ball, too, goes into play, where uh, you know, guys like Super Utility, Ben Zobrist and, uh, you know, the beginning of Javier Baez's greatness, El Mago. Uh, yeah, there, there's just a lot of flexibility in this roster, and, uh, you know, they can make the most of the matchups. Uh, and, yeah, that pitching staff was insane that year. But, yeah, let's move on to the uh, 96 Yankees.
2: Deary, we talked about the Yankees so much. I just can't stand it anymore. But, you know, we did say – I think we both agreed last week that we, you know, kind of liked this Yankees team more than others because Cecil Fielder was on it. He won a World Series. They had some fun players who you were happy to see win a title. Uh, what about this team?
0: Yeah, they had they had guys we liked, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just really interesting as we were looking at this. They only had two guys that hit over twenty home runs in Bernie Williams and Tino Martinez. Uh, you know, this is kind of the start of the dynasty of, you know, I mean, there's guys on this team that were gone within a couple of years, Mariano Duncan, uh Boggs, Gerald Williams, uh Ruben Sierra. What this team did really well though is they got on base and they hit for average. Uh nine out of or eight out of the nine guys in their starting lineup had over a two hundred eighty average. Um so just everybody was smacking the ball. Mariano Duncan actually batted 340 for them this year. Um, 400 at-bats, that's not that bad. Um, Jeter Jeter bets 314. Obviously, Wade Boggs always hits over 300. Um, so they did it in different ways. Uh, excellent bullpen, obviously, with John Wetland and and Ramer, uh, Mariano Rivera. Uh, Andy Pettit puts up, puts up an excellent season. But besides that, they were kind of piecing it together in the rotation between Kenny Rogers, Dwight Gooden, Jimmy Key, uh, David Cohn has a nice season, uh, after they acquire him. Uh, I just, I, I, I don't think they have a shot in this matchup though. I think this Cubs team is just, is just way more balanced, better starting pitching. And I think, uh, they're going to be able to get the key hits that they need to against a a Yankees staff. that doesn't really blow me away. Uh, yeah, so that, that that's my thoughts. Uh, I'm hoping that some of these Yankee teams get eliminated, just so we don't have to talk about them in every matchup. When we record the next pod, I don't think there's a Yankees team on the right side of the bracket. I think they're all on the left side of the bracket. So great job with the bracketing. <laughs> Yay! All right,
2: Steve. This '96 team saw Cecil Fielder win a World Series. A uh, Dale Strawberry. He uh, you know, was a part of the Mets, but uh, this was kind of a redemption story. He had some. Uh, unfortunate butt cancer, which he recovered from. He had a drug addiction, so it was really nice to see him come through. Do you find yourself looking back nostalgic Lee looking at this 96 Yankees team?
3: Uh, not really. I, <laughs> well, First of all, shout out to former Red Mariano Duncan's nine walks and 417 plate appearances on the <laughs> podcast uh, OBP obsession. Uh, <laughs> so we got... Uh, I mean, there's, there's some fun players on here. I love Paul O'Neill, of course, another red. Uh, Wade Boggs was always one of my favorite players to watch. Um, And uh, Jimmy Key is uh, – reminds me of, like, today's J.A. Happ for this lineup, (laughs) uh, for this rotation. Uh, Yeah, uh, Doc Gooden resurgence on the same team with Straw. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a a pretty fun team, but they're they're not going to beat the 2016 Cubs in any fashion. I mean, was this, a 92-win season? Yeah, you know, Cubs were a 100-win team, and just uh, they were better top-to-bottom, more versatile, and a lot more power.
0: Can you guys imagine if uh, – so they had Strawberry, Gooden, and Reigns. Can you imagine if those guys were on the same team in the middle of the 80s with all the substances that they were in, putting in their bodies? And oh, fielders.
2: <laughs> wow. That's a lot of partying. That's a lot of dip, as they say. Uh, so I guess it's very clear. Guile is going with the Cubs. Uh, Deary, you said you're going Cubs, right?
0: Yeah. I I think the Cubs would, uh, would dominate them in a series.
2: We do need to put
3: together,
0: uh, like an all
3: booger sugar team. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there's
2: always another podcast. Absolutely. Okay. So we got through the left side of the bracket. That is the first eight matchups of round one. We're going to do round one or round two. Part one of round two. Round two, part two will happen this weekend. We'll finish off the right side of the bracket. But the voting will start tonight for all 16 matchups. It's going to be on Twitter. Hopefully, it'll all be on one organized thread so all the matchups get equal publicity. This is going to be really interesting. I really want to see some Yankees teams get eliminated, but I also want to see the best teams who deserve to go on move forward. But I'm always down for an upset. Uh, Any final thoughts as we uh, wrap up this show, Deary, on this? bracket.
0: Uh I'm really interested to see how the voting goes with the 2003 Marlins and the 95 Braves. Obviously, we've already seen the Marlins contingency come out. Um I'm hoping that Steve's Reds put up a uh an effort against those 84 Tigers. Uh I'm also interested in this 91-2005 White Sox matchup. So, uh I think two Yankees teams will probably go down, but I'm really excited about the right side of the bracket. We got some fantastic matchups to talk about. You know, talking about the 2002 Angels this weekend. We'll talk about that 89 A's team, a couple of the Blue Jays teams that we haven't talked about. We'll talk about the Nats from last year, and of course the crazy 86 Mets. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to recording this next pod.
2: Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, the whole right side of the bracket looks way more entertaining to me than this left side. <laughs> Those Blue Jays teams and the Royals of 2015. Uh, very fun. Uh, any final thoughts, Mr. Stephen Gale, Who? Thank you for joining us. We really enjoyed having you on the pod.
3: Well, I've enjoyed doing it. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, the uh, uh, I'm really interested in this uh, uh, 95 Braves-03 Marlins matchup. Of course, your Tigers versus my Reds. That's that's going to be the one I'm definitely keeping the eye on. Um, I want to see just how badly the 88 Dodgers get fucking boat raced by the 99 Yankees. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I'm I'm interested in the outcomes, but uh, I'm definitely more interested in the bright side of that bracket also. So looking forward to the next one.
2: Awesome, yeah. So just uh, to let you guys know, on the right side, the matchups are the 2018 Red Sox versus the 97 Marlins. They would play the winner of the 2017 Astros versus the 83 Orioles. And then the bottom half of that region is the 02 Angels versus the 2012 Giants. And then the Blue Jays of 92 versus the 2008 Phillies.
0: That's a fantastic matchup. That's a really nice one.
2: Yeah, and it's fun that, you know, the Phillies played the Blue Jays in the 93 World Series. So it's not the same teams, but it's fun to get these matchups of fan bases. That's the goal is to try to get that kind of excitement going on. And then in the bottom half on the right side, the last region is the 89 Athletics versus the 2014 Giants, which is a Bay Series, oddly enough. That's kind of fun. 93 Blue Jays taking on the 2015 Royals, the 2007 Red Sox taking on last year's winner, the 2019 Nationals. And then lastly, the 86 Mets versus the 87 Twins. So that'll be, man, I can't wait for that podcast. We will do that this weekend. It will be a blast. Palazzo podcast, two L's, two Z's. That's on Twitter. Get to the voting. Start voting now. (laughs) Send us an email, palazzo podcast at Let uh, Deary or Steve or myself know what you think of our opinions or how stupid we are or something we missed. We don't know everything. This has been the Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Baseball Podcast, 1980 World Series Tournament Champion, Round 2, Part 1. Thanks for joining us. going
1: up in
0: flames, and my lips still ache even just to form your name. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com
1: slash podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.